Welcome back to another session of Sports Sesh. I'm Guy Young, and these guys are just guys. Now, I want to just jump right into hot topics. Earliest memory of Dirk, it was probably probably a year he was playing with Steve Nash. I kept hearing somebody named Dirt, like with a T, so I was like, why is there a dude named Dirt in the league? And then I, you know, I found out he was actually pretty good, so. play some basketball it's the four-pointer presented by nord vpn it's mike with two very special guests well one special one's just here all the time and will not go away uh the one that's special is mark followell the television play-by-play voice of your dallas mavericks and apparently iowa state football pretty constantly (laughs) well every once in a while anyway uh and bobby carella hello the whatever you are Director of digital really content person. The man uh, who won't go away. Yeah, the man that won't go away. He <laughs> wasn't of, even invited on this podcast. Just no, he just forced his way in. <laughs> said, I'm recording with Mark at 10.15. He said, all right, I'll be there, ready Well, to you told in. me 10.45, and so I, 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 felt, I felt misled, hoodwinked, bamboozled. Things change. Yeah, got to be flexible, man. Yeah. yeah. Agile, as they say. For you, Mark, I'll do anything. This text says 10.15. Anyway, oh, well, we've got a 45-minute podcast for you and because... This time of year, syncing up me and Jacob uh, Matthew Kemp's schedule is just a, it's just a treat. So we're bringing you a special episode with someone that's more than qualified to fill in, Mark Followell and uh, the great Bobby Corella. All right, boys, so let's talk about digital hygiene because y'all are gross. Every day I bet you take your phone or your laptop onto public Wi-Fi somewhere and you're not protected because you're not using a VPN. You're connecting your device directly onto whatever random Wi-Fi hotspot that's convenient, and that's how your data gets stolen. That's only one of the solves that NordVPN can provide for you. Online safety is crucial these days as we all live a substantial amount of our lives online. But online freedom is also something that you don't even realize is getting taken from you because you're not using a VPN. Bobby and I, and I guess Mark as well, we travel all across the country and even internationally, which means you can run into situations where you get a janky version of Netflix or HBO, or worse, it isn't even available because you're getting geo-mapped to a certain location. Why would you let somebody control your online experience right down to what kind of deals you get for flights? For instance, if you're uh, in Dallas and you're looking for a flight out of Dallas, the deals are going to be worse than if you're rerouted with a VPN to somewhere else looking for a flight out of Dallas. Smart people come up with solutions, and that's exactly what NordVPN has done. For a limited time, Mavs fans get 70% off a three-year plan at nordvpn.com slash Mavs. That is nordvpn.com slash Mavs. That means your subscription is just $3.49 a month. And that's such a small price to pay for better digital hygiene and freedom online. If you enter the code Mavs, you'll get an extra month for free as well. Visit nordvpn.com slash Mavs for 70% off 
a three-year plan today. That is nordvpn.com slash Mavs for 70% off a three-year plan today. And um, I guess let's start with Mark because Bobby gets to talk about this all the time on our airwaves. True. And yes. you can stop in about once a month or so to, uh, to break down some knowledge and uh, give us your thoughts on the situation. But I feel like Luca is all we talk about right now, but somehow we're not talking about him enough. It's, it feels to me like we're watching the birth of a superstar, like a generational NBA superstar. And I, I can't get my mind around it mm-hmm. because I feel like I'm too close to it. Give me some perspective on exactly what we're seeing of a dude that's 20 years old that is doing what he's done thus Ooh. far. Well, number one, um, to your question or your comment about talking a lot about it, all we talk about but not talking about it enough, I think we always have to remember that when you're in it like we are, and it does feel like you talk about things all the time, but not everybody out there consumes it, eats, sleeps, and breathes it like we do. So there is always that thing to remember that just because you've talked about something once or twice or three times still doesn't mean that everybody that you want to touch with that message has heard it. So, so yeah, we talk about him a lot, but but there's uh, an insatiable appetite that has to uh, be fed out there in terms of, of hearing and talking and listening and digesting all of the information and all of the perspective that's out there on him. Uh, you know, in terms of what we're seeing right now, I mean, it's, it's bordering on the unprecedented because it's such a young player uh, in terms of actual age. I mean, there have been a lot of very good second-year players. Uh, but still, he's going to be in the conversation for among the best second seasons in NBA history, depending on where this whole thing ends up. Uh, there's about 15 guys, I think, who in their second year of average 27-plus points a game, and maybe my number's off just t- a tiny bit, but there's only six who have averaged 30-plus, and Luka's got a chance to be on that very, very short list if he can maintain this high of a scoring average, which you know maybe over time ends up decreasing for any number of different reasons. But yeah, I, I mean, I think the, 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 the thing that we're seeing, the best perspective I can give is we're seeing something that at least right now looks like it is uh, an MVP caliber, um, significant player that will be a headline maker for many, many years to come. And, and that's probably the best perspective I could give on it. I think uh, it was Nate Duncan last week that did their through 18-19 game awards last week on his podcast which is a great product if you uh if you nerd out to nba stuff like we do and he said luca's the mvp he, his pick for mvp was luca Doncic. wow the 20 year old dallas maverick who somehow i mean for me as someone that works in it and has to cover every move the guy makes and make a video for everything he does and mm-hmm. make a graphic for it the quotables are fun right yeah so like the 30 point triple doubles are super fun mm-hmm. and rookie of the year is super fun and player of the week is is pretty neat, but whenever you're, what are we, 16 and 5, 15 and 6? 15 and 6. 15 and 6 right yeah. now? I didn't think he was going to crack the code for offensive basketball mm-hmm. in his second season to where every decision he's making on most nights, some nights he gets a little turnover happy, turnover happy, but on most nights, every decision he's making, I'm like, yeah, that's the right play, and it's winning the game for us consistently. Well, two quick thoughts on that. Number one is that that is what makes everything so unique and special is that it's not just numbers that are historical in their context, which certainly is great and certainly very, very intriguing, but it's translating to winning at a high level at this stage of the season. So that's really what ties the whole thing together and makes it a nice, pretty big, 
bow that we're thinking about here at the holiday season when we're wrapping presents. You know, that's that's what's so great about it is that it, it translates into actually winning games at a clip that games haven't been won around here, quite frankly, in, in quite some time. Uh, the turnover thing, I don't think, is anything. You know, one of the things I think we have to adjust our, our basketball upbringing on remember how we were always taught that two and a half to one is the ideal assist to turnover ratio or at least two and a half one that's the minimum for your i for your for your acceptable assist to turnover ratio out of a point guard um, a lot of things have changed about the game and i think much of what we fixate on is so many threes uh the lack of post play uh the fact that big guys shoot so much now but another aspect i think that we're going to have to adjust our basketball upbringing to is that assist to turnover ratios may not be this number that we thought it should be in the past. Because in the past, um, you know, point guards and offense initiators did not do what some of these really unique offensive initiators do now, like James Harden, uh, like Luka. Players who have the ball in their hands so much and are relied upon to create so much rather than just uh, a point guard bringing the ball of the floor and get you into your set and, and you get a lot of assist, but but you're not being asked to do just an inordinate amount of work on offense in terms of shot taking, uh, shot creation more than just getting an action started on a play or, or making, you know, uh, a, a simple pick and roll pass. I mean, there's just there's just so much more to it. And I think that that's going to lead to trying to do things and that's going to lead to the ball in a person's hands a lot more. And all of that is going to to lend itself to if you're trying to make something happen, you're going to turn it over. And I mean, that, look, that is old school basketball, by the way, the whole idea that, you know, this is not a new thing that, oh, well, you know, you're going to turn it over a lot. It's a new thing that you have these players that do that. But the point I'm trying to get to, it's, it sounds a little convoluted what I'm saying. But even John Wooden, who everybody would think, oh, well, that guy must have just like, you know, been so rigid and so stoic and just couldn't, couldn't stand anybody turning the ball over. He would say, I understand turnovers are going to happen. I mean, if you're trying to make something happen on the floor, you know, you're going to turn it over. If you don't want to turn it over, you can go stand on the corner and you'll never turn the ball over. It's like interceptions, right? Yeah, you're not trying to make anything happen. It's interceptions early in the season. You want your quarterback to try and make that play. Yeah. To so, gain so, that confidence. So, yeah, t turnovers, they're, uh, they're a natural part of the game. You want to limit them as much as you can. And, by the way, the Mavs are fewest in the league. Turnovers per game and like 12.8 Yeah, they're per almost game historic. Yeah. So, they're, turnover, they're turning it over 12.7% of the time this year which is the second best ever mm -hmm. in the NBA. So I think does, does what I'm saying make sense though? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just absolutely. To, to, to wrap it up, we're just going to have to adjust this whole concept of what's a high number of turnovers and an acceptable assist to turnover ratio for these unique players like Harden and Luka along those lines. Yeah, I mean, he's handling the ball so much. It's almost to the point now where like, touches. he turns it over, I would guess more than half of the whole team's turnovers have been committed by Luka because he just has the ball so often, you know? He's, well, what's his number per game? It's like almost five. It's uh, like 4.7, right? I would right? need to look. Yeah, it's, it's definitely over four, especially now after the last couple games. Mike, you can uh, type with two hands faster than I can type with one. But, yeah, I don't think it's um, quite half the team turnovers, but it's, it's up there. Yeah, which, I mean, five years ago would maybe look really silly, but now I have no problem with it at all, especially yeah. because he's creating like four point six his passes lead to like 15 23 point attempts per game i mean it's i'll, I'll take the I'll, I'll take four turnovers if it means that you know they're top well, five and the threes. other thing too is i mean assist obviously you're tied to shot making so and when you're talking about assist to turnover ratio and then the other thing would be what's you know <laughs> the more important thing would be I just saw usage, the i'm ball, sorry <laughs> turnovers to touches to the ball 
You know, yeah. I mean, when you touch the, I mean, guys touching the ball a hundred times a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. one one turnover every twenty five touches. I mean, kind of put it in that time that yeah. perspective. One I, turnover every twenty touches, whatever it is. One thing so. I saw, I think I looked yesterday, is uh, how often do you turn it over when driving the lane, right? Because that's whenever you're you're sucking in multiple defenders. You can commit charges. You can dribble it off someone's leg. You can try insane passes in traffic. Well, you he can never trip over Aaron over. Baines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron Baines can uh, yeah. pull Dro- you down. From drop <laughs> down from the ceiling like Sting and just tackle you. Man, that's uh, a good ra- That's an underrated record. But he right never yeah. turns it over when he's driving the lane. And he also leads the league in points off drives. Or no, is second in points off drives and leads the league in assist off drives per game even though I think he's only fifth in total drive. So uh, whenever he gets going downhill, I mean, his turnovers that he commits are whenever he's like 40 feet from the rim, double teamed and trying these crazy passes. LeBron's jumping the passing lane and stuff. But whenever he's in a position to make the right play, he makes the right play every single time. I mean, it's almost like, I don't know, he's like almost boring now because he's so good, you know? Yeah, because I I mean, we watch him so much, we know. I'm going to have to. He's not boring. Yeah, he's he's never boring. I mean, he's... He's he's not boring, but we know the outcomes, Yeah, yeah. Depending on how he gets played. I can see now when he's going to make a 50-foot cross-court pass over one guy and under another right into the shooting pocket. You know, it's like, I don't... You almost... It's like taking for granted Dirk's like 18-foot fall away. Yeah. You know, he's already to that level of like... (laughs) He just makes the extraordinary look so... When he's fading to his it's left and it's so along a three-point line, I'm like, you're about to get step-backed on, and that's getting that's going in. Yeah, he does not it, miss in, in the third quarter, wing. he's not going to miss. Yeah, you know? he does not. First quarter, first and third quarters are just insane for him. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just an energy thing. Like, if I can play 110 percent um, for you know eight minutes straight, this mm-hmm. is the numbers I generate. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at the numbers that I just pulled up, so his usage is 36.5 percent. Uh, that's up from 30.5 from last year. Turnover, turnover percentage last year was an even 15%. This year it's 15.8. So he's jumped in usage 6.5%. Right. Turnover percentage only jumped 0. 0.8. Yeah, that's a good That's That good is incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. Big wins at Houston. Big wins at Denver. Big wins in Staples against yep. the Lakers on Sunday. Um, and just the constant competition, because there are so many really super talented star players now mm-hmm. in the top you know top five to eight players in the league are just incredible right now and edging out your own space where that you are worthy of being the one thing on scott van pelt's mm-hmm. nightly show two times in three nights yeah or worthy of being you know the lead thing on nba.com that's hard to do um because there's just a lot of noise like harden will drop 50 and shoot 27 free throws and he gets he's hey harden had a 50 point game and yeah. it's like well, that's just noise. Where's the where's the signal of what's actually enjoyable to watch, and who's winning games right now? That would now? be in Portland with yeah. Carmelo Anthony, <laughs> right? The player player of the week, Carmelo Anthony. Um, but for for us, as we look at it, and we try and carve our space where we're not just good and fun to our fan base, to where we're trying to get national respect. Mm-hmm. That's that's what separates it to me. It's. It's can we can we box out our own little space in the national conversation to where they want us on Christmas Day, to where they want to change our Boston game to a to a ESPN game. Um, that's the unfortunately stuff. for yeah. You. Unfortunately for you, good good for everyone else. <laughs> yeah, you can come hang out with us still at the game yeah. if you want. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But uh, yeah, that's that's the thing that's so cool for me right now is. We've seen young players come in the league and put up numbers. I mean, Dennis was a good example of, you know, his rookie season had some point totals and some uh, quotables that were fun. 
right? And then it's we weren't a good team overall, though. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really contributing to, you know, us having more points at the end of the game than the other team on every night. To me, getting through, just fast forwarding straight through the growing process, right? To <clears throat> this is the way you played your whole life, but it doesn't it doesn't win in the NBA. To you're an offensive engine. You're one of the top four or five offensive engines in basketball. And by the way, we're winning 70, 70% of our games. Mm-hmm. Is insane to me. Yeah. I can't wrap my mind completely around it yet. Well, look, this is a results-oriented business. And so that's what, yeah, the, the, the numbers are great. But to get back to what I said earlier, what makes the numbers truly special is that it's, that it's translating to winning and winning at a high level. And winning you know, on the road in difficult venues, you, as you just ran down Houston, Denver, and the Lakers being three standout road wins this year and being top four in the West and what is a very difficult West. Although, are you paying attention to what's going on in the East? The East is very good. Yeah, the East has got – Top six teams. And yeah, they got five, five games five, in a row against them coming up. Against yeah. the top five teams. Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's when you look up, at, when you look the at Miami game. Toronto being like the fifth best team in the East right now, that, mm-hmm. that's very scary. Yep. I mean, not for, we don't got to play those teams that much, but that's a – They've got a healthy amount of talent on that side. I'm so glad Bobby brought that up because that is, I mean, we're looking forward to that on the TV side of things because it's going to be Miami at home, at Milwaukee, home Boston, at Philly, at Toronto. And that currently, that's your top five in the East, and the Mavs are going to play those. And that might the be their five toughest five-game stretch of the year. Yeah, five games in a row heading into the Christmas. Every single break. one of those teams is going to win 50 games. And well, they, as long as they stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, they play them, what, five times in, what, nine nights? Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's insane. With the 14th to the 22nd, I'm I'm looking forward to that stretch. Yeah, dude, that's gonna be um, And one of the other cool things to me is I think we talked about it last time I did a podcast with Bobby was when these losses happen. That one one example is the Knicks one after mm-hmm. the Boston game, where you had no business losing that game. You mm-hmm. just get into a dog fight, and they have eight dogs, and you end up just getting Marcus Morris seniored. Right. Um, and you go home with your tail between your legs because you lost to the Knicks. Well, then you reel off a five-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. You have a big city edition night where there's a party in the plaza. Clippers come in. You think getting pretty big for your britches. And then the Clippers come in and humble you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you roll off four in a row. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that means a lot to me. That moves my bar up and down between win expectations and win totals. Is whenever you get kicked straight in the teeth... What does the next week look like for you? Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember that three days from now? Mm-hmm. That you're still, you can still play that badly if you don't focus and play as hard as you can? Right. Or is it day-to-day? Just, hey, uh, lost that game. Whatever, on to the next one. Yeah. The league is, look, the league is about responding, and the league is about how you're able to move on from the last thing to the next thing very quickly. And that can be moving on from a good game, a really good performance like Sunday but understanding, as Rick said after the game, more and more performances like that are going to put you on the radar of more and more teams, and you're not going to sneak up on people. You're going to get their best efforts. Theoretically, anyway, you're going to get their best efforts. Uh, and then you go, you beat, a, you beat a New Orleans team by 21, and then you come home, and Minnesota's resting two days, but you're able to bail, bail yourself out of a, out of a double-digit second-half deficit and win that game. So, yeah, that, it, that is so much about, you know, the league is about responding to difficult situations and understanding that – the wins and losses and the games themselves just I mean those one those ones those single games can't be appreciated that much because when you when it's done you you get on the plane and if you've won it's like well I can't really like enjoy this too much because somebody's waiting in the next city to kick my butt and if you lose then it's even harder because it's like gosh we got to get back on track but it's going to be hard because somebody's in the next city waiting to kick my butt 
So it's that's that's life in the league, and uh, I've seen it happen for for two decades now, and that's that's such an important part of of you know people sometimes wonder why don't players seem more upset or you know man I bet that was a fun plane ride after the game last night I bet it was good and and there is a difference but I think it's a lot more subtle than what people would realize in terms of of what the vibe is like when you're around the team an hour after the game because the realization is on to the next you've been around the team for a long time machine you've been around the NBA for quite a while I floated this scary this theory scary to uh, skin the other day and scary theory on numbers yeah. on the boards and uh, he thought that it was kind of interesting. I'm not sure that he agreed, but he definitely thought it was interesting, right? Uh, I said I think that it was kind of a good thing that they got the Knicks game out of the way so early. That was you, you were done with them for the year after the 11th game. I think you just don't have to worry about it. From the time the schedule comes out, you know everybody was going to be thinking about that game. Nationally, of course, in New York, three players on the team are going to be thinking about that game. You know, Luca's given quotes like, we got to pick KP up. Like... It just became this huge deal, you know, especially after you you lose the first one, you go there the next week. And I mean, you got people yelling traitor during the national anthem. Like it was like a disgusting scene. And uh, I just think that it was kind of maybe good to even though they took two L's, which you never want to do, especially in, uh, you know, what might come down to a chase for home court in the first round against the freaking Clippers. But. For it to be over after November 14th or whatever it was, I feel like that might end up being kind of a, a little bit of a blessing in disguise that you just, even though you lost, you don't have to think about the Knicks again until 2020. It's a distraction, no no way around it. Like, it, it makes the main thing not the main thing whenever you're playing a team like that in an environment like that. Um, I don't know if... I'd, I'd like to win one of those uh, and get out of there of them, but with, yeah. Uh, yeah, being 16-5 and five right now because I do believe we are a better team than the Knicks, and most met metrics would tell you that. It's just styles make fights. Uh, you get into games with weird lineups, and they're going to throw five guys at you that are 6'8", 260, and you don't have those guys. Um, and it was almost like a, we played to them, and they, we didn't make them play to us, but I get what you're saying. Get that out of the way so it's not hanging over KP. We're not going to MSG uh, February 10th, late in the season, um, and just be done with it. You're good at right. rationalizing, Bobby, and I respect it. Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I'm I trying to explain yeah, away two I losses, all I right? I respect it. But, I mean, sure. seriously, you don't got to think about it anymore. And, I mean, well, since that game, they've won 9 out of 10. I just – I don't, there might not be anything to that. Two, two, very, two very quick thoughts. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but two very quick thoughts. And that is that, uh, you know, it's, it's no matter how you slice it, those were, those were bad losses, uh, especially in light of just seeing what happened, how horrible they were in their, what was it, Denver last night, that they were down by 44 and yeah, lost I mean, by 30. I'm not making an excuse or yeah, anything. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, that, that is, a, is a bad aspect of it, obviously. Um, you know, the only thing I would say is that I do believe in the space-time continuum, as Doc Brown taught us in Back to the Future, that once one thing occurs, then that leads to another thing. One thing we'll never know is, um, you know, when you lose those games, what sort of uh, what sort of change in mentality occurs because you're so mad that you lost it. And, you know, does, does a lesson that uh, might not have been learned as significantly because you squeaked by and got a win, and it's like, okay, well, we got away with it. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a teaching point to it that comes out of it. I mean, that would be probably the best thing I would say. And, and you know, it, it's in the rearview mirror. That's reality. And, and whether or not it was good or bad remains to be seen or, or 
there may not even be anything you can say about it, but, but it is what it is. Nothing worth doing is ever easy. <laughs> you got to, you got to like the Knicks. You got to, yeah. you got to, you got to carterize that wound real quick. Yep. Like just be, just be done with it yeah. um, and move on. And exactly what Mark said, if they don't kick you square in your teeth, once here and once in New York, I don't know if you, if you win nine of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I don't know yeah. if you come back I mean, their next two games. One was against the Raptors who yeah. punch you in the mouth even harder than Marcus oh, yeah. Morris. And then the next one was the Spurs and they never beat the Spurs. Yep. I don't care who's playing for them. Yeah. yeah. No, I, mean, I think it was like 15 out of 17 that they had lost to San Antonio before that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. almost all of them were here. I mm-hmm. mean, I think their last two wins against them were in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Right? It's almost like whenever you go through the schedule and you do the stupid thing we do, which is assign wins and losses, you're like, on paper, you're better than this team. On paper, you're better than this team. But then you might make that Toronto game an L because Toronto's the defending champion and they're pretty deep and they play pretty well against you. But then you don't realize the motivation that just happened of losing to the Knicks mm-hmm. in New York with people yelling traitor at Chris Stops and booing every time he touched the ball and just all the nonsense that happened. You go into that Toronto game pissed. You go into the next four games extremely pissed because you know you're better than what you showed in New York, whether it's MSG and whether it was a national game, whether the, you know, uh, that's the most viewed Luca highlight that we posted this year. I don't know why. Um, it, you, you're pissed off. And you carry that for the next week. And this team stays focused. And I was having an interesting conversation with um, McMahon the other night after uh, our last game. And I was like, you know, Luca's going to be Luca. He's a freaking superstar. He's the offensive engine. Um, the whole thing is on him. Like, but he's going to do what he does. KP's almost the same way to me. And that right now, I expect really good defense, rebounding. Um, knock down some threes when you're open, and let's build your offensive game back to what it was. What's going to be the difference between us improving throughout the season and even on a longer timeline, the next two or three seasons, is going to be guys like Dodo, Maxi, and Dwight. The guys that are next door right now, probably driving everyone else insane. They're playing so hard in practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, those dudes that are second round picks or undrafted guys that they set the bar for what you're supposed to be here as a second round pick mm-hmm. as an undrafted guy. Mm-hmm. I did it. He did it. He's done it. Dodo's right. a starter now. Dwight's a starter now. Maxi just got $9 million a year. If you come in here and you don't live up to that mark as a guy that was thought of as the 60th best player in a draft class, then you're failing. Mm-hmm. You need to live up to what we are. You mm-hmm. need to train as hard as we do. And that's what, the dif- that's what um, Miami has, that kind, of, that kind of culture. I feel like Toronto has that kind of culture. I feel like Boston almost has that kind of culture where the 10th guy on the bench can jump up and be your fifth, sixth player in a year because there's just expectation for everyone that walks through the door. And it's because those guys, Dwight, Dorian, and Maxi, are making you do it every single day. Well, it's also a lesson in team building that, that you know, and I, I think your point is very good about Toronto has a lot of contributors, uh, key contributors who are not lottery picks. Um, you know, coming to mind at this stage of the game is Fred Van Vliet, who was undrafted. Siakam was the 27th pick in the first round. So that's a, that's a couple of good examples. And, and for that matter, uh, you know, people that they bought in and trade that are, that are key components of their team when healthy. Lowry was a 24th 
selection in the draft. Ibaka was around 24 and 25, 26 in that range. Uh, Gasol, Mark Gasol was a second round guy. So key contributors to their championship team for that matter. Not just players that are good this year, but key contributors to last year's championship team. Uh, Miami also has a, a good track record of finding second round players and undrafted guys who they can bring in and fit their team and are key contributors. Um, you know, you, it, 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 takes, it takes being good in a lot of areas of evaluation to build a really good team. Uh, you, of course, are going to have to land your couple of guys that are the selections at the top of the draft, and Luke is one. Uh, and then you're going to have to probably be active in some sort of other player acquisition market, be that the trade market or free agency, uh, if not both. And clearly the Mavs landed something big from the trade perspective with what they did with Porzingis last year. And then there are, that, that's, you know, that's not just one or two guys. I mean, you're going to have to hit on uh, a handful of those. And then the rest of your team building is going to be filling in the gaps, especially once you get to a stage. They're not there yet, but when you get to a stage where your guys are not on rookie contracts and big money's involved, then, yeah, those, those second rounders, those undrafted guys, those are, those are key contributors. And I love what those guys have brought to the team this year. It's, kind of, it's like attitude, too, you know? Yeah. I mean, even looking back to the – this might be a bad example because they won a championship, but the Mavs team that won the title was a bunch of lottery picks. J-Kid, Dirk, Jason Terry was mm-hmm. – he was he was lottery. Sean Marion was a yep. lottery pick. I mean, but these were veterans, right? This Mavs team is very young. I think Luka might be their only lottery pick on the whole team. No, Porzingis. Porzingis, too. Yes, yep, uh, yes obviously. I'm, I'm an idiot. But – then it's like J.J. Barea, undrafted. Jalen mm-hmm. Brunson, second round. Maxie, Dwight, Dorian. Uh, Dwight was the only one that got drafted, and he was, what, 45th pick? Yeah. And he's yeah. already, I think, the number mm-hmm. one or number two player in win shares, taking 45th overall ever. Hardaway was a late first round. Hardaway was a yeah. late first rounder. Hardaway was 24th, I believe, in 2013. Yeah, and then before that, it was like Wes Matthews, undrafted. I mean, mm-hmm. they, this it, it feels like they've kind of been like building toward this thing of like, you need to have you neither you either need to be really really skilled or have an edge ideally both but they have guys on the team now who have kind of come up through the system i guess in the last couple of years who are kind of like butt kickers i know rick always says they can't be milk drinkers and i, yeah. I don't think they can all be milk drinkers you can't, what you can't have a team full of uh, jerks although he uses a different word for it <laughs> and you can't have a team full of milk drinkers yeah. there has to be a little bit of both I, I don't think they have any psychos on this team in fact i think like dorian is probably like the he's like the pit bull but he's also the sweetest guy ever yeah but uh dorian and maxi and dwight those three in particular will they'll kick your ass i mean they, they will beat you up when did cussing become such a big thing on this podcast? It's podcast, man. I haven't said anything yet. You can say whatever the heck you want. I'm due for about five podcasts. I haven't said anything yet. When did this start happening? Well, I, uh, it's, it's, you, can, you can bleep it out. If you, uh, <laughs> per- perfect example is Jalen this year, right? 33rd overall pick. Uh-huh. I, we talked to him, you know, once a week at least. And he's had a fine year, like, for a 33rd overall pick um, in his second season. But he has higher expectations for yeah, himself. Yeah, I think he'd be the first to tell you that he yeah, thought he, he was going to have a better year than what he's yes, had so far. Yes, and he has, and he thinks he's underachieving. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is kind of a normal trajectory for a 33rd pick. Like, because you uh, reached this plateau of last year of in your first season of what people would consider overachieving, that doesn't mean, like, you're there now. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to earn it every single season, right? But he'll tell you that he's not playing up to his standards. And maybe that's just a professional athlete thing, but I think it's a lot to do with the guys in the room. You just look around, and there's an example at every single locker almost of a dude that came from nowhere, mm-hmm. uh, same exact area of the draft you did. People thought the same stuff. Every single team passed on him just like they did you. 
and Dwight Powell's a starter. Dorian Finney-Smith's a starter. Maxey is one of our most key defensive stoppers and three-point shooters. Seth for Curry, by the way, is a drafted Seth player. Didn't yeah. even get a multi-year deal until he was like 26. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so Jalen's the perfect example to me of dudes that are going to push harder, push through it, not be fine with the season he's had because he looks to his right and Maxie's right there and Dwight's right next to him. And knowing that the expectation for a second-round pick in this organization is contributor, big-time contributor in his second season. In one of my other lives as a broadcaster in soccer, because I think you have more positions on the field and more players, but, but one of the things that when you're around that sport and you talk to coaches is how much they value the idea of competition within the team that, uh, you know, and especially the, the high, high level that the sport has played in Europe and the cutthroat nature of what jobs are like and jobs within a team are like and people always pushing you for your position. And sometimes I think we forget that a little bit when it comes to basketball because of limited positions and some no-brainers when it comes to who the guys are who are going to be on the floor for, for key minutes and big minutes a game. But competition within the team and guys driving themselves and motivating themselves and pushing themselves to be better and being disappointed when they haven't been as good as they think that they can be. I mean, that's, that's all very, very good, and that's all a positive thing for a team to have, as long as that energy, of course, is channeled in the, in the proper manner. Um, you know, I think from Jalen's perspective, you know, I, I think we, we all agree with this, and, and he would be the first to say that he probably would say that his year hasn't been all that he's expected it to be. But some of that is dynamics of how the team has changed, too. Um, you know, I don't think any of us expected that Luca would be on the floor and be this ball dominant MVP candidate playing 34 minutes a night and being so important to the team. And then you have to kind of develop the atmosphere around him in terms of who's going to need to be on the floor with him, who are going to be the guys who are going to take the lead whenever he's not on the floor and keep the thing afloat whenever he's not out there. And so that's, that's changed the dynamic and changed uh, maybe the expectations and the ideals for how guys were going to contribute this year. I mean, that, the, the starting lineup, as we know, was a work in progress. And uh, they kind of just lucked into it because Seth got sick and Hardaway stepped in and was very, very good for those first games. And all of a sudden they realized, well, you know, we thought Hardaway as a six man was the good idea, but now we realize it's better for him to be out there with Luca and with Porzingis and getting better looks. Yeah. And, and these guys that we thought that should play with Luca that would compliment him well, are actually the guys now they're leaning on to keep the thing afloat when he's not on the floor, DeLon Wright and Seth Curry being a couple of examples of those things. So, so one thing I think we have to look at when we're evaluating who, who has done what outside of Luca this year is that his performance has changed the dynamic in terms of how we have to, to even out the attack and how they have to organize the rotation over the course of 48 minutes a game. I feel like that Minnesota game was pretty important for those dudes that are 7 through 10 on the roster. Yeah. Because you can go through games. I mean, I don't feel like I learned anything from the Pelicans game except for KP's awesome defensively and can block five shots a game and affect the game uh, even when he's not scoring a, a ton of points. But the Minnesota game is what I'll remember from this week because you go into that fourth quarter with Jalen DeLon, Jax, Maxi, and um, I can't remember the other It was players. all bench guys except for Finney Smith. And yeah, that started the fourth quarter. And then Finney Smith came out for Jalen about two minutes right. into the fourth quarter. Approximately. Yeah. And those dudes brought it home. Mm -hmm. I mean, they went on a tear. I mean, it was making threes, which, you know, uh, that can come and go at times. But getting to, stops, too. Getting stops, playing good defensively, not letting Cat do what Cat usually does in that building, which is 
put up 10 in the fourth quarter and hit a crazy shot that pulls you within one or something mm-hmm. like that, like you did last time. Yeah, you think about the home opener last yeah. year, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> it was, that last night was yeah. the same game. Yeah. I mean, it was almost the same exact game. Yeah. yeah. And then they started nailing threes. They started playing really good defense. They started wearing down, um, you know, Josh Kogi wasn't moving the same way he was in the fourth quarter. Can I, can I, can I add something to what yeah. you're talking about Absolutely. there? Absolutely. Which is, I, I, I said on the telecast whenever Wiggins came out of the game, with his fourth foul with maybe 10 and a half minutes to go, I said, well, this is a really key time of the game because Towns and Wiggins are now both outs. Now, someone who might have had an axe to grind or might, you know, heard that at home said, well, why wouldn't you say the same thing about the Mavs? Because Luke and KP are out right now. And I did think about that. It just never kind of really got to a place to mention that. But what, what I think is really important about that game is Wiggins went out, and there were back-to-back possessions where Minnesota didn't score and the Mavs did and go from 86-82 when he went out to tied at 86. Saunders has to take a timeout. He puts Cat back in the game, but things were already trending at that point. Kleba hits a three to go up out of the timeout. Then it's back and forth for a couple of minutes, and then Luka and KP come in, and the Mavs ultimately pull away. But, but that, was, that was a really, really interesting five, four or five minute window of the game when Minnesota didn't have their two best players on the floor and they lost their grip on the game and the Mavs took mm-hmm. their grip on the game whenever a group of five bench guys were out there and they played very, very well yep. and, and turned a deficit into a lead and then and then, you know, the big guns came off the bench and brought the lead and expanded the lead and brought it home. Yeah, and to Rick's credit, he stuck with the bench guys until they oh, yeah. didn't have anything left. Yep. I mean he brought Luca out of the game, I think at the end of the third quarter, as he always does, KP played maybe eight or nine minutes in the third, and then they both didn't come in until there was five minutes left. Yeah. I mean, he rode with the bench guys for seven, eight minutes yeah. straight. I think they were going to come in. I mean, Luca was up, and Luca was at the table for a minute. Yeah. There wasn't a stoppage in play. Luca was ready to come in about a minute before he actually ended up going mm-hmm. into the game, but there was just no stoppage. And they didn't need to take a timeout. You know, it wasn't like a big pendulum swing of momentum happened in that time. Yeah, frame. but I mean, generally, I, I think that he's shown, even with Dirk, I mean, if the bench guys are playing well, he's going to stick with them. Mm-hmm. It's not like this meritocracy where, whatever, Luca's our best player. He's going to play 40 minutes if we need to, him to. I mean, he's... If you're playing well, you'll stay out there. Jalen Brunson closed the game, and he had the ball in his hands for key possessions. Yeah. I mean, Luka was a bystander, and Jalen was just you know breaking guys down. Well, if, I think if you're playing hot, he'll if you earn it, you'll get the you'll get the touches. Well, the other quick thought on that too, Bobby, is I think that that's really good for Luka from a standpoint of it's a long season. There's a lot on his plate. That was the second night of a back-to-back, and I think there's great benefit in every possession where he doesn't have to do all the work. Yeah. Cumulatively speaking, there's benefit in a handful of minutes he doesn't have to play and a handful of possessions where he doesn't have to work, or at least I hope that there's going to be a cumulative effect as the season unfolds. And also, I mean, he was he was a little frustrated all night, I think. And yeah. <laughs> that first that first foul he got called for, it was a, maybe, I don't know, it might not have even been a foul. It might have been a travel or something. He, like – Kind of flopped to draw a foul, didn't get it. Next time down, officials got him. I mean, he was he was going to get a tech basically from three minutes after the after the tip. I felt like that was part of his rite of passage in growing up yeah. into being an NBA <laughs> yeah. superstar. It's like, hey, he just got a tech for yapping at the refs because yeah. he didn't feel like he got a call. And Sometimes. he should have got about four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was. He did get hammered on a couple of those drives to the basket we, that we showed, and, and there was no call. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it comes so easy to him that whenever it doesn't come easy for five minutes at a time. Like, he gets so frustrated. But I think part of, like, watching him closely and seeing him in pregame and seeing how he acts and seeing him on the bus, how he acts, on the plane, and then he gets into a game, and every time down, people will say, like, he's chirping at the ref. I don't even think that's what it is. I don't even think it's a you-owe-me-something type emotion. I think it's he starts talking to himself, and he gets in his own little confidence zone 
of whatever. I don't even know if he's speaking English or Slovenian or Spanish, Spanish or yeah. whatever Variety he's speaking. Of tongues. Yeah, whatever he's speaking. Once he gets, once he starts going at the basket and makes an incredible layup, going left, right, doing something, and gets a little bit of contact, dude, he starts talking to himself, and he gets in this zone where you're not stopping him. Like it's almost like I don't feel like Jordan never really talked to himself. But he did it in like an internal monologue. Yeah, he, he talked to other players yeah. plenty though. <laughs> the great, the great, the great players like whatever you need to get to this point of confidence, of where you are, where you haven't. It's not disrespect. It's just like you're staring at Bradley Beal defending you, and you're like, it could be anybody. I don't care. I'm, I'm getting two points, two at least two this possession off this guy. It could be, you know, fill in the blank. It could be well, LeBron. Well, Luca feeds off competition. And I love, by the way, the Bradley Beal thing is a great example of, I don't think Luca was happy that Bradley Beal got tossed in the game. He basically said, said that, I mean, he didn't say, I'm not happy he got tossed in the game, but he said after the game, that was all just basketball. Yeah. And I don't, and, and he's I'm glad like, that he yeah. did get tossed, though. <laughs> yeah, Luca, Luca was not sitting there thinking, oh, man, I'm, I'm ta- this is, you're hurting my feelings and I'm taking this so personal. He's a competitor, and he understands what the game is about. And... Uh, you know, Bradley Beal like kind of patted him when he went out when he got tossed from the game, and I think Luca totally understood that that level of one v one physicality and competition that was unfolding in the fourth quarter of that game with those two guys. I mean, that was that was you know you look back on it, that's kind of a neat little signature Luca moment of yeah. the season, and I think that there was not one molecule of him that took that in any way other than yeah. it's two really good dudes who are out here competing at the very very highest level of their support. Mm-hmm. And as it relates to Wednesday, real quick thought too, is you guys were, and heard a lot of his interviews last year. What's, in my humble opinion, the thing that he struggled with and, and talked about it some last year, the back-to-backs. That's the yeah. one thing he didn't have a whole lot of experience with from Europe. And so this is only the second one of the year. Um, the first one didn't even play the fourth quarter because the Mavs were in control of that game in Memphis and he was quite good. He had 24 points by the end of the third quarter and didn't have to play the fourth. But, but the other night, I do wonder if there's still growing pains for him in terms of managing these second nights have a back-to-back, even though he didn't play the fourth quarter or the front end of it on Tuesday in New Orleans. This, that team in particular, the Wolves, they play fast, but also they got six guys that were guarding him. I mean, yeah. everybody on their team is six foot five. Yeah, they they're pick very up good court. defensively. They, yeah. are, they can be. Yeah, yeah, they pick him up full court with a Kogi and it's That's like the Travion thing, by Graham. The way. Yeah, That's the yeah. new thing. They're, they're Every, everyone is going to pick him up full court now, yes. I think. And, and, yeah. and I, think most, I think a lot of people listening understand this, and just to kind of reinforce that, you know, you don't pick people up full court in the NBA with the vision of I'm pressing, trying to force a mistake or a turnover. You pick people up full court to wear, to wear you down, to, to get you into your offense a few seconds later, mm-hmm. a few seconds deeper into the shot clock to m- mean that you yeah. know, I can't start getting into my play until 14 or 15 or 12 or something like that on the clock instead of 17 or 18. It's, it's, the, like it's the good leadoff in baseball. You make the pitcher throw over there about three times on you. Right. Just to mentally wear him down. Yes. So at some point, he just has a lapse. Yep. And you're on second then. And then being on second is the equivalent of not getting an offensive set initiated until 13, 12 seconds left in the shot clock. Yeah. It's That's a, the goal. It's a much more wear down, uh, cumulatively, cumulatively, struggling with that word again, disruptive <laughs> effect, as yep. opposed to, oh, we're just going to force, you know, we're going to force mm-hmm. mistakes and turnovers. Like you would see when, when Nolan Richardson was 40 minutes of hell and you see mm-hmm. a full court press in college, the idea there is you can't handle it. We're going to force you into catastrophic mistakes. And I think in the NBA, it's, it's the, the mentality and the usage of it is an entirely different strategy behind it. 
Yeah. And we will see more of that, no question. Yeah. But when, when I see him start talking to himself and pausing once he makes a layup on the baseline and just, like, barking stuff, I'm like, he's about to score 10 points in the next five <laughs> possessions because that's, that's, that's his thing. Like, people just think it's, you know, a Harden, like, chirping at the ref type thing. And Harden might do the same thing. I don't know. But he just turns into the, he turns into the bad man real quick. And he's just talking to himself, and that's what it takes for him to get in that zone where it does not matter what human being is in front of me. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to the basket. I'm getting these points. Or I'm going to step back on you when you're off balance, and I'm getting this three. And once he gets in that zone, man, it's first quarter, he has that kind of confidence and that kind of mojo going. Third quarter, it's the most fun thing in basketball right now, honestly. Like, there's nothing the I'd rather watch. The four minutes of the third quarter yeah. are always insane. There's nothing I'd rather watch right now. Like, even Giannis uh, Space Jam dunks from the free throw line mm-hmm. just off two feet or something. Like, I'd rather watch Luka going insane right now than, any, <laughs> than anything fun, else. Man. It's yeah, fun. The, the tell is when he stops smiling. It's, yeah. it's a lot like Dirk. Like, they're yeah. goofy guys that play for fun, but whenever they're not smiling, you know, like, oh, my God, they're yeah. about to explode. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, okay, so we've got a couple minutes left. I don't, th- I don't feel like I've gotten a chance to ask you about um, KP's progress yet. Um, right now, it's what he's giving us is perfect because we're 15 and 6, and I feel like we haven't quite even peeled the onion back on what he can do offensively. Um, but if he plays this way defensively, rebounds the way he has been, and knocks down open threes, I'm like, keep building, bud. Like, we'll see you in February and see what, see what the offensive bag looks like. But what's your take on his first, I guess, 20 games is what he's played? Well, I think he's having two adjustment periods. Number one is the physical adjustment of coming off not playing for 20 months, and the other adjustment for him is playing alongside Luca. And I think that that dynamic, again, his Luca's uh, unexpected meteoric level of ascension to where his game is. I don't think we we expected that that Porzingis would have to adjust to it. I think we saw him as a a true like you know equal level offensive option was the envision or at least to, to I think I, I don't know what Rick thought but that just sort of seemed like what everybody expected that he's going to be out there and scoring and shooting and generating just as much as Luca and so I think that there's probably an adjustment for him from what kind of system he had to play in before and probably the systems that he's played in his entire life to being a little bit more uh, complimentary on offense and I think figuring that out is 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 you 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 couple that with figuring out your body and your wind and your rhythm and all of those things and I think that's you know it's to be expected that there's going to be some some ups and downs on this path I thought Rick put it in great perspective though whenever it was before a game three or four weeks ago and you were probably there Bobby and heard it when he made the comparison to Gordon Hayward yes yeah yeah, that, that it took Hayward after breaking his ankle in the first game of a season and missing an entire year it took him the next season and then a summer and a training camp to be the player that they thought he could be and that he was in the first you know, time, first few weeks of the season before he suffered his broken hand. Yeah, so KP missed a season and a half of basketball, and he's still only 24. So whenever he was last playing, he was what? He had not turned 23, right? He was 22 right. and yeah, a half. 22, yeah. So I mean, he was really, really young whenever he got hurt. So I mean, he now. was still learning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, 24, you're washed. But like, he was still learning basketball, playing in the triangle. So I mean, not only is he like, learning his body again not only is he learning how to play with a stud who's going to be very very ball dominant but also he's learning how to play like modern basketball which is that's a lot on that guy's plate but I think he's starting to figure it out and 
I saw him do some ball handling drills with uh, Sham on the court before the last game and also some back down drills too. So I think he, he's definitely had some trouble putting the ball on the floor this year. Uh, the turnover percentage is very high on his drives, but uh, I think they're recognizing that and starting to work on that too. So, And we saw him, I think, against Minnesota be a little more aggressive in the post as far as backing guys down and not settling for just turning around with them like right mm-hmm. in his airspace and sh- trying to shoot over yeah. them. I mean, he's... But he can uh, do that. Yeah, he can do that, but I, I think... I fouls doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think at least being a threat to back them down will help you a little bit so that way Marcus Smart isn't like... Yeah. negative inches away from you. But remember that Dirk had to learn that. Yeah, yeah, I no, he did. It took, in, Dirk was 28 before he figured it out. There's value in being able to shoot over the top of a smaller player, even when the smaller player is in negative airspace, as you just referred it to, and is right up. I mean, that's what you know gave Dirk trouble when he was the Golden State Series in 2007. He was because the MVP. The 6'7", 6'8", guys could switch onto him and like kind of get in underneath his arms and really up on his body, but then... 2011, Dirk was able to deal with that and shoot over the top of guys. So I don't think that's a bad thing to try to do that. No, no, no. And I, I'm not as I'm not as obsessed with the whole like aspect of him backing people down on the post because, you know. And I read an article about this and then looked up some numbers on it. I mean, post play is dying. It is dying. The only a, people that a, still do it are the Sixers. I think they have 12 a game, uh, venturing towards 12 post ups a game. The next closest team is like eight. Let me let me let me see if I can find. I actually texted myself. I, I did this, and so Text I would not. Wow. Yeah, I, so I would not forget. Did you it. say, "Hey, Mark." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Mark. So it's Mark. This is according to the Second Spectrum player tracking data on NBA.com. The number of teams with ten or more post ups per game was in the first year of Second Spectrum player tracking data, which is the 2013-14 season. 28 teams in the league posted up at least 10 times Damn. per game. Is there one now? Seven. Seven it's still gone. do it 10? Seven do it at least 10 times a game. It's gone 28, 26, 24, 24, 16, 17, 7. Man, that dropped how that it's, fast. Yeah, it's how, wow. how much it's dropped this year. Uh, the number of teams with 15-plus post-ups. Okay. From 2013-14, the first year of second spectrum player tracking data on NBA.com. That year, 20 teams did it, 15-plus post-ups per game, mm-hmm. dropping to 13 the next year, to 8, to 6, to 5, to 5 again, and 2. Damn. This Who year, two? This year, Sixers. Philadelphia is one of them, and forgive me for not being able to remember the other one. It's not Minnesota. Oh, it must be the Lakers. Yeah, probably with Anthony Davis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. I'd have to forgive me for not remembering. But Minnesota, for example, went from almost 20 a game last year to lead the league, and they're seventh in the league this year at 10 post-ups a game. And a lot of that's Towns. I mean, Towns was posting up a league high 13 times a game last year. Mm -hmm. He's posting up seven times a game. He's He's cut it so much easier now, too. He's He's cut it in half. So so I'm not as uh, hot to trot about, man, putting his – KP Porzingis has got to figure out all this like back to the basket stuff. No, I mean, it's yeah, good no that's, that's, good that's not what I'm trying have, to convey as much as when he does find himself in those situations, does he look like a fish out of water? Or yeah, does he does, he, does he have an answer for that? Yeah, I mean, do you, do you have one move and a counter basically? Uh-huh. Yeah. Even if you only get it four times a game, are they going to be four, four yeah. effective? Empty? Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Are okay. you going to get I'll a good that. shot? And then also that. too, I mean, like facing up guys and taking them off the bounce is something that I think he's going to have to. Not even in the post from twenty-five feet away. He's athletic enough to beat guys. I mean, I remember against so excited the first preseason game against Andre Drummond. Yeah, Detroit crossed him over, and Drummond 
was like, okay, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm out. And, I mean, and he knocked and down a 20-foot jumper. If you have one or two of those little handle moves in your bag, then all of a sudden that, that makes you much more yeah. of a threat off the Do catch. you think, real quickly, before we get done, do you think Porzingis is also probably adjusting to in New York and the system they ran? I don't think that when he was in New York that they minded 18, 19, 20-foot jumpers. I think that they were they totally okay. gave him so took. many bad looks. Yeah, yeah. and so now – with the Mavs certainly being in the way in the new wave of the NBA as we need shots in the paint and we want threes and we want to move away as much as we can. I do think that's probably an adjustment for Porzingis as well, as I'm sure that he's thinking, okay, these 18 to 20 foot jumpers that I used to be able to take and make with a fair degree of regularity, you know, compared to a lot mm -hmm. of other people with that shot, are yeah. things I shouldn't be taking right now. Do watching watching his actual games like we did I think this summer, um his last season in New York and seeing the kind of shots they generated for him and then seeing the point totals and the percentages he was still getting mm -hmm. with those kind of looks mm -hmm. that were being generated, like constant 18 footers mm -hmm. um, and just weird post-ups fading to a side of the basket that he doesn't, I don't think he's made one of them this year when he's like fading far left and has to do this weird little try to do the touch shot in between 10 feet. And, mm -hmm. um, th those were, that was his offensive diet mm -hmm. and he was still an all-star. Yeah, which is insane. Um, but I'll be I'll be 100% honest with my evaluation of him thus far. I feel like besides shooting the deep three and cutting to the basket and catching lobs, I don't feel like he has any feel for the game right now offensively, almost at all. And he's this good. Mm -hmm. And whenever he gets the feel for don't dribble into that second defender, his hand's right there. It's looking right at you. <laughs> like, stop doing that. Quit pulling up. 10 feet away from the basket because your shot, he has such long arms that his shot is out here, mm -hmm. way out in front of his face, and it just either lets other players affect it or it's just such a difficult touch yeah. shot. He keeps he stopped doing it of late. I feel like the first 10 games I was like, well, this is not going in. Um, but now I'm like, he's got a little bit different idea. He's either getting straight to the rack or they're just not putting him in those situations. Yeah, his cutting has been, been pretty, good. very, very valuable. Yeah, it's yeah, almost like the good. game has to slow down for him again. Yes. You know? But if he's good, he, good description. If, if he can still bombs away from thirty feet and knock those down pretty consistently and be a threat in a mismatch with the defense he's playing, the rebounding he's bringing, the shot blocking, I'm like that is still like a plus plus player. That might not be an all star caliber player as of yet, but as soon as he starts adding one or two more of those tricks that he used to have, or just straight up learning new ones um, to play alongside Luca, and I think they. I'm not going to say they go out of their way to get guys going uh, in certain games, but watching Dwight last game, I saw Dwight play with that starting unit, and I'm like, man, it's just not working for him like it used to. Mm -hmm. Not playing with JJ, not playing with Devin. Yeah. And then last game, I felt like Luca's like, you know what? I'm going to get Dwight 20 points tonight. He's not going to miss a shot. Because he was doing that on the regular late yeah, last year. Absolutely. I mean, 9 for 10, 10 for 11, 11 for 12 games happened mm -hmm. with Dwight late last year playing with Luka. And it's like, okay, well, that's a good fit. This shows the value of a great role man with Luka because Luka will find you. Yep. I feel like he, he had it in his head. I'm going to get Dwight's confidence sky high because he's going to go 9 for 9 tonight. Yeah. He's going to get eight, eight of them are going to be dunks. Like, I'm just getting Dwight going. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of the way they, they were defending three, him. Seven of them. Yeah, seven two, three. Seven, seven they weren't trapping him, and a lot of the yeah. times they were turning the pick and roll into two-on-one against Towns, and Dwight was just eating him up yep. all game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so I feel like that right at him. That, 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 that dribble come. move was insane. It was yeah, that drive in the third quarter for the dunk yeah, yeah. Uh, on Towns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I feel like that time's going to come for KP where we're like, just offensive frustration keeps building. And I don't even – he's – 
so smart and so understanding where he's just like, I just want to fit in. Just tell, me, tell, tell me where to play. Mm-hmm. Like as a 7'3 all-star dude that's like, you know, was one of the biggest names in the NBA for him to just be like, just tell me where to, tell me where to go. Mm-hmm. Tell me where to fit in is so cool from him. But I feel like that moment's going to come. It might be around Christmas. It might be uh, January. But there's just going to be a game where Luca's like, you know what? You're getting 10 dunks. Mm-hmm. I'm getting, I'm getting, the mojo's going, okay? Right. We need you to score 30 tonight. And he's just going to do it. And he's had 30-point games. It's just been yeah, – he's kind of set, yeah. settled back down to, okay, he's an 18-point-a-game uh, type guy right now. And that's fine if he's getting these rebounds and playing that kind of defense. But um, – I'd be, I'd be fired up with 18, 9, and 2. Absolutely. Yeah, it, there's That's, maybe, what, a dozen guys that do that, yep. if that. Yep. All right, we got to wrap up real quick. So if you're still listening to the podcast at this point and uh, you follow me on Twitter, if you tweet me, cheers, my friend, with either Saturday or Sunday, depending on what game you want to go to, I will give you the first person that tweets me, cheers, my friend, at Machine Sports <laughs> on Twitter, and you tell me if you want to go to the Saturday game or the Sunday game, I yeah. will give you two lower-level tickets. Wow. First one that tweets me, cheers, my friend, with Saturday, gets two lower-level lower tickets for Saturday. First one, it can't be the same person, obviously, uh, that tweets me, cheers, my friend, Sunday, gets two lower-level lower tickets to the Sunday game against the Kings. Um, you want to go to the you want to go to the game on Saturday? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm thinking I'm gonna go. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. I've already. So Saturday game is at 1 p.m. Make sure you can go to that game. You're a man of the people, dude. I, I like am. It. People's I like champ. Uh, two tickets, lower level tickets for Saturday. If you tweet me, cheers, my friend. At uh, Machine Sports, just tell me which day you want to go. First person on each one. Um, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank you, Bobby, for hopping on. Yeah, thanks. If you tweet me, I won't. Yeah, anything. he'll block you. He'll mute you real quick. I, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> thank you, Mark. Always of course. Love, yep. always happy to do talks. it. Happy to do it, man. Favorite, anytime. Favorite anytime. people to talk hoops with. Uh, you can quick, check Mark, it. what's one thing that you're going to be watching for the next week? Sorry. Just real. Just no respect. This, this, no next, respect. this, next, five, this next five games. It's, I'm going to be deal. watching one for thing. what special thing I'm going to put on social media from Mexico City. Wow. There you go. Awesome. Good math. <laughs> I'm just hanging out with Mark in Mexico City. Where I'm very jealous. I'm very Wherever jealous. he wants to go. Just I'm going to follow Mark around Mexico City. But, uh, yeah, if you want tickets, listen to One Minute Ago. And uh, thank you for listening to The Four Pointer, presented by NordVPN. Feel free to give us a, uh, a review on iTunes. Um, and uh, tell your friends if they're into Mavs podcast or just Mavs fandom, because we're always looking to add people and trying to spread the word. So, Thank you for listening. We'll check you out next week. Hopefully, Jake uh, is off of working 24-hour days over at the uh, the ticket. But uh, check out Mark on – those are both Fox games, right? Yes, sir. Saturday Fox Sports Southwest. 1 p.m. Saturday uh, and then 6 p.m. Sunday, Fox Sports Southwest. Listen to the great Mark Falwell, and uh, you have a great weekend.